This is Luminous, Conversations on Sacred Arts, coming to you from the Institute of Sacred Arts at St. Vladimir Seminary in Yonkers, New York, and I'm Peter Butenev. Welcome. The Odyssey of American Indians, so often either ignored or stereotyped or romanticized, in fact, brings together countless stories describing a widely diverse landscape of tribal identities and histories within American Indian narratives, alternately inspiring and heartbreaking. There's so much to be learned about the role of the arts, music, visual arts, dance, architecture. The arts are at the heart of the identity of indigenous people and specifically their spiritual life, even as that spirituality, for some, came to be manifested in new faiths, foreign faiths, such as Christianity. So there's an entire world to unfold, and we're tremendously fortunate today to be talking with someone deeply qualified by her experience and her training to help us learn. So Dr. Rebecca Hernandez is community archivist at the UC Santa Cruz uh, library. Uh, this is work that involves partnering with local stakeholders to acquire and preserve materials about the communities of Santa Cruz County. She was also director of the university's American Indian Resource Center, where she worked creating collaborative programs across the campus, including the People of Color Sustainability Collective and the UC Santa Cruz Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls series. Rebecca is a consultant for nonprofits and museums. She offers workshops and presentations on Native Americans in the United States and assists educators at all levels with curriculum and training development. It's all such vital work. She she holds an MFA in exhibition design and museum studies, a graduate of the UCLA American Indian Studies MA program, and earned her doctorate in American Studies at the University of New Mexico. Wow. Um, Rebecca is Mescalero and Warm Springs Apache. Rebecca, welcome. Thank you. Feel so lucky. Thank you. Uh, you and I have talked um, a couple of times recently after your fantastic webinar for the Oxia Women Network, and I was saying to you that for this podcast, we should forget that we ever talked, <laughs> because <laughs> those conversations were so fascinating. I want our listeners to have the the fortune of hearing you for the first time. <laughs> How's your work been going? I mean, uh, y your bio begins uh, talking about uh, community archives, and I imagine the, the pandemic either harmed or maybe even helped that kind of work? Right. Well, what's uh, so I started the position of community archivist in January of this year. So I went through the pandemic as director of the American Indian Resource Center. And, um, and yeah, the, that was a challenging time for all. What's been happening since coming on board as community archivist is that uh, it's a brand new position. It's also, I'm also the first person to ever hold 
the job. Oh. So it's a, uh, it's, you know, most of what I've been doing is, is just a deep dive into the scholarship of community archives and, uh, interviewing a lot of people about what they would like to see the community archive at UCSC be. Um, and of course, community archiving is all about giving communities the authority and the power to determine what it is they want preserved about their own histories. And that's what shifts the script. You know, we know most archives are um, the result of people going out to communities and researching and, um, extracting what they thought was, you know, was important to preserve. And oftentimes that wasn't what the community uh, thought was valuable. So, so now we're going to be bringing in materials that the community decides uh, best represents them and also be of assistance and be a resource to those communities. Mm -hmm. If they don't want to, you know, hand things over, but they want to just be sure they're preserving, preserving them well in their own community. So it's such interestingly interactive work. Yeah. Amazing. Listening. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I've already just in three short months heard amazing stories and it's been such a blessing to be out and, and learning from, from folks about their contributions to the County over the course of the history, you know, um, what like is the last couple hundred years? I mean, especially for a, a, an East Coaster like me, uh, if you could describe a little bit the the makeup of the communities that you're uh, serving in this way, um, culturally, so, ethnically, etc. Right. So, um, of course, Santa Cruz County. Um, I, you know, I'm not a historian, but I can safely say I think that the Catholic Church uh, was one of the first, right, to come into the state and settle an area, uh, a mission, right, which is one of uh, many in the state. And so the mission became the center of activity, um, and it's Holy Cross or Santa Cruz um, Mm. in Spanish, and that's how the city got its name. Bulk of the um, people that were enslaved in that mission were were native, uh, and so there's a very complicated history there. But um, there are a lot of native tribes in the area that are, you know, reclaiming who they are and uh, asserting their identities again, you know. Um, but also, there are Portuguese, Italians. Um, you know, Latinx folks, just a whole wide variety. Of course, the Asian community came in. And um, south of Santa Cruz, in an area in what we call refer to as South County, which includes, you know, Watsonville, um, but which is the strawberry, um, you know, grows all the strawberries almost for the entire country uh, year round. <laughs> so it's an agricultural area. And um, lots and lots of people came in and you know, c- contributed to that economy, mm. farms, etc., and uh, we're right along the coast with mm. the mountains and the you know the beautiful uh, trees on one side and the ocean on the other. So yeah, it's it's really lovely. Mm. What are some of the media uh, that you're actually conserving? Uh, well, what we're doing 
right now is interviewing folks just in a very casual, you know, we have a list of questions that we're going out and asking people both on and off the campus. And then uh, eventually, you know, we'll, we'll reconnect with those people and ask them, you know, after you've had a little bit of time to think about this, what do you imagine you would like to share? Some, some communities have a tremendous amount of um, material that they have been, you know, storing in a building or in a garage, you know, which is very common. And there are a lot of really difficult stories we've heard too, where, you know, people have cleaned out their parents' homes and basically tossed everything that they had um, just by virtue of not having enough space to store it themselves. So already we know a lot of the record is going to be missing, but we're hopeful that we can still capture a, a lot of it before that before, um, you know, that happens again. And, um, and some of it will be oral histories, some of it will be uh, communities sharing their own stories, you know, written, like in a um, kind of a sort I'm thinking, Um, you know, like a journal kind of style where they just they share uh, photographs, home movies. I mean, there's so many things that people, have, <laughs> you know, and uh, and and I've I there's there's um, media I didn't even know about, <laughs> you know, things you know, slides. I mean, I knew about slides, but people have just boxes and boxes of mm. slides, mm. you know. Cartridge. Uh, I forget what they call those. Are they cartridges? You know, where they put the slides inside of. Yes, and so. Um, oh, carousels. Carousel. Yeah, there you yeah, go. Yeah. Yes. So right, like I. I mean, I've seen those before. I've never really used them. So sure, it's sure. you know, it's that. It's just it's uh, engaging with a lot of that that kind of material. <laughs> And just seeing and seeing, you know, that was precious to people, and and it should be uh, preserved because it tells a story oh. about where we are in a way that other materials don't. Um, the problem, the the bigger problem that we'll have is just making sure that we know who's in these images, when they were created, and um, but it does it does give a much richer message about you know who. who who lives here, yes. and uh, how they contributed to you know everything that's happened. As I'm hearing you, I'm really thinking of of the work of archiving as itself a kind of a sacred art because it, it's an art as you're describing it. Mm-hmm. It entails creativity and decisions, and it's sacred in that you really have in your hands something that is irreplaceable. Right. You know, identity and and history that, as you've pointed out just now, is so fragile, you know, it, it, mm-hmm. it's subject to the whim of somebody who needed some attic space or, you know, right. whatever. It's so delicate and so, um, yeah, delicate. It is. And we have to remember that even if it seems... Uh, that our family stories are really our family stories. They're part of a greater story, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm I'm now encouraging everybody to think carefully before they um, toss things out. Yes. <laughs> call a yes. local call a local library or archive or university and see. You know, is this material that you have an interest in? But community archiving is relatively new. It's, it's only. Uh, 
you know, I would say really being implemented over the last 25 years, 20 to 25 years. So, mm. you mm. know, the concept is new and I'm really privileged to be uh, at an institution that felt it was necessary to create the position. And uh, it's a permanent full-time job. Mm. So that's mm. incredibly rare uh, in the United States. Mm. And it just, you know, it's been a real blessing to be able to uh, come on board there. It's great. It's a blessing for everybody. Um, if we could charge into a huge area that, that was raised by some of, for me, by some of what you said. Um, you mentioned the the mission, uh, which also enslaved uh, Native mm-hmm. Americans. And, and so this, the relationship between indigenous people, not only their, their, their colonizers, but also the, the religious dimension of that, um, we know increasingly the heartbreaking stories of not only slavery, but, but of abuse in homes and schools. Um, and yet somehow uh, some native Americans have, have found a home in Christianity despite, or, or, you know, in some, I don't know, strange Stockholm syndrome kind of a way, who knows? I mean, maybe can you, begin to unpack that story just a little bit for us because it's so important not only kind of spiritually but eventually we might get to the artistic side of that but Mm -hmm. if i can open that door a little right well you are correct it it's uh it is an interesting phenomenon right the the fact that um really it was Christian, it was Christianity, and and whether uh, people were fleeing their home country to come to the New World because they were being persecuted for their uh, faith, right? Or they brought it uh, along with their desire to take the land, and well, all Europeans came with that objective, but yeah. but um, but you know, it was in in a systematic way like the Spaniards did. So uh, I I talk about the fact that the Spanish uh, have been were have been in what is now the American Southwest and in particular New Mexico where my tribe is from for longer than the United States has been a country. Um, they were they were established for about two hundred thirty six years or so before any change came. So um, so it's. It's important to uh, reckon with the fact that to understand how Christianity is rooted in American Indian communities, it's important to remember that Christians came and started converting people well before the American period. So for Native people in the Southwest, we've lived under three flags, right? It was the Spanish, then the Mexicans, then the Americans. And every one of those uh, periods of history brought with it its own, um, you know, painful times. But what what is most important to um, recognize is that all over the country, when churches came, when people came in and identified as Christians and set up churches and started to engage with Native people, um, there was an understanding 
on the part of many Christians that Native people, they weren't even really sure we were completely human. This mm-hmm. is documented fact. Mm-hmm. Um, people wrote, you know, we're not really sure. They seem, you know, they're this primitive um, people that don't, you know, they seem they seem like they haven't really made the leap to to the level of civilization that we come from. So they felt it was necessary in order to make it possible to live together, that they would uh, force Christianity upon us uh, just so that, and, you know, and again, this is not a pleasant history, right? So um, because then regardless of how they treated us, (laughs) there was this assurance that somehow God would take us into heaven Uh, regardless of, Mm -hmm. you know, however it is that we lived and died. So uh, mass baptisms, um, forced assimilation, forced conversion, these are all common all over the Americas, whether it's Catholics, Protestants, and in the case of Alaska, the Orthodox Church. So um, these situations, you know, they're written about, I mean, the, that history and those particular situations are all a little bit different, right? Because every European group that came into what is now the United States had its own reasons for being, for coming over. Sometimes it was, they thought they were only coming over for a short time and extracting and leaving. But then they stayed. <laughs> so mm-hmm. then there were, you know, so there's a whole lot of complex history. And, uh, California, well, the American Southwest is just so influenced by the Spanish. It's impossible to separate the history at all, really. Um, and because the fact that the Spanish had that, um, you know, tremendous impact on our communities, Catholicism has been a part of our practice mm. since that time. Um, some people practiced it. And didn't believe, but they practice it to spare their lives. And other people did. Other people started to understand themselves within that context and became believers. And so for generations now, American Indians have been Christians. Um, and that was something that I found uh, as I did my own research. The um, And I was up in Alaska on a trip for St. Herman's feast day. And I did a series of interviews with Elliot folks up there. And I asked an elder, you know, how do you reckon with your traditional ways and Christianity, right? How do you, how do you, how do you manage that conflict? And she, she just smiled at me. I realize now how naive a question that was, but you know, she said, well, uh, Orthodoxy is our tradition. And it was a a moment where I was just, you know, I came out of this idea that, um, I mean, my whole perspective on things shifted because it's true in my own family and it's true for myself, right? I grew up Christian and um, almost all, well, more than 50% of American Indians in the United States today self-identifies Christian. And however that came to be, right, it's just the reality that now there's a lot of Native Christians. Yeah. Um, the unfortunate thing is that there's not a lot of writing about the contemporary Christian experience, mm-hmm. uh, something that 
really needs to be done because uh, the diversity within Indian country itself and then the diversity of the different uh, expressions of Christianity in Indian country. So there are native Protestants. There, are, you yeah. know, I mean, there are there are native Dutch reform. There are native yeah. reform, you know? I mean, native it's, it's Dutch so, reform. It's, right? it's so interesting, <laughs> right? Right. Um, right. I, mm. How all of this came to be. Yeah. Uh, certainly, a large number of Catholics, um, but lots, lots, of, you know, lots of different expressions yeah. of the faith, and you, um, they're really. A big, it's a big part of their like tribal identity as well in some places uh, because the church had that serious of an impact, right? Well, that right there, well, you've given us so much already, but I mean, what you've just said now, part of that tribal identity takes me back to your conversation with that elder in Alaska, and I'd love to hear a little more about what went on for you because you, you, you signaled it as a transition moment for yourself when she said, uh, it is our tradition. Mm-hmm. What do you think she meant? What did you hear in that? And and what was its effect on you to hear that? Well, that we can't separate ourselves uh, from our history, right? And the history of the Russians in, in Alaska is long. Uh, and the... Um, the church had, you know, played a role in a number of ways that, um, for me, what I realized was that there is no conflict. You know, what, what she helped me to appreciate is that thinking about Native and Christianity as two separate things um, collapsed. Because mm-hmm. even though I myself identified as Christian, um, it was, I always thought, well, you know, I was always a little bit apologetic about it. Like, you know, oh yeah, I'm native, but I'm Christian, you know, because mm, but, it's such a it's such right. an ugly history. And mm-hmm. there are a lot of native people that um, you know, as pleasant as it can be to talk to native Christians, it's also can be very unpleasant to speak with people who ask those painfully difficult questions, such as, you know, how can you participate uh, in a faith that whose whole purpose was to destroy us? Um, you know, that that is a, a real question, and it's one that I had to learn to very. Um, you know, I had to learn over many years how to navigate and how to share about my choice and about the choice of many other native people to participate in in the in the faith and so um you know i mean people have said really difficult things to me personally but i understand where they're coming from in relationship to the church i i definitely understand why uh you know, I mean, the records over and over and over again, it's just nothing but disaster and pain. Mm-hmm. But within all of that, right, um, there's, we, we have to recognize that over time, people found solace in the faith, they began to um, engage with it in a, in a more in a way that was a choice as opposed to a being forced, right? So even uh, certainly in the last 25 years, if you even want to think very, very current, right, contemporary history, um, it's a choice. So even if somebody says, well, even 50 years ago, it wasn't a choice. 
okay, you know, because maybe that was the way that your kid got to get a better education, <laughs> or, uh, you know, or you um, were entitled to certain things if you practiced Christianity on your reservation or something, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it was also something that I think, uh, along with all of the people that came in and mistreated Native people, there were also many people who came in and understood what was happening mm. and tried to do better. Mm. And they exemplified what it meant to be a Christian. Oof. And those people are the ones that, um, you know, taught us what the message really was. Mm. And um, sometimes they suffered on behalf of Right on behalf of the right. native people, mm. and sometimes they were killed by native people, but they they still persevered and they came and they you know they wanted they wanted to do better and mm. and even today there are many uh, clergy that want to understand how they can go into communities that um, have these memories and the memories are not that old right mm-hmm. I mean. Uh, our country is is just barely over 200 years and that's a drop in the bucket historically so we know that you know (laughs) we know that those memories are still fresh and um, especially a lot of the trauma that went on uh, in the boarding schools and the boarding schools are um, mostly run by christians (laughs) so you know they part they they oversaw these just horrific things that went on. Yeah. And now we're discovering, you know, mass graves at many of yeah. those schools. Um, children died just, you know, they were they were forced away from their families as young as four years old um, to live, you know, in these institutional spaces with no, you know, not not being allowed to be who they were. So so it's gonna continue to take time to heal. And those of us that choose to participate in and be Christian, right? And by participate, I mean that in a sincere way, right? That um, that we are engaging and practicing and um, learning and accept what Christianity teaches us. Mm. Um, and so those of us that have made that choice are in a way, you know, uh, unique ambassadors yeah. <laughs> of oh, the faith. Yeah. And and um, and I share with folks, you know, for me, uh, it's a very personal journey, but it's one that I'm, I'm also um, uh, understand is important to talk about because we don't do enough talking about faith mm. in our nation, I don't think, and about the role of the church in our lives. Mm. And for me, it's a you know, uh, being an Orthodox Christian has brought me great joy and sustained me through a lot. And mm. Um, mm. and I've learned a lot about myself. Is it always the most comfortable place for a per- <laughs> you know uh, a, a, you know a person that doesn't uh, you know I I mean is it always the most comfortable space? No, but. That in itself, right? That would be like a stretch, you know, like I think they refer to that as like stretch learning, right? Like as you move through something that's a little bit challenging, it's important to ask questions about why is this space not um, yes. as comfortable as it could be? What, yeah. what, what's happening here? What's, what's, what am I feeling? <laughs> and then to come back around to, you know, uh, change that 
is mm. going to just take time in the Orthodox Church in America. Mm. Um, you know, I, I, I'd love to come back to that. Uh, I, I also know that we have a, a piece of music that I thought it would be lovely to hear, because when, when you spoke about some of the people who were trying to get it right, and some of the people who kind of took the side of the indigenous culture. I, th I think of Herman of Alaska mm -hmm. as one sort of icon of that. So those are Eliot Orthodox, um, and that was what I was introduced to when I traveled to Alaska and and attended services, um, where for the first time, right, I saw churches full of people that that looked like me, uh, that um, had a similar, you know, uh, approach to life, and um, and the clergy. I think seeing all the Elliot clergy. <laughs> you know, it was, it was mind-bending and so beautiful. And all I wanted to do was just keep, you know, like I just, I couldn't stop just um, looking at them and thinking about, you know, how um, how amazing it felt to be in this space with um, people who had, had relationships with uh, the Russian Orthodox Church that were as complicated as any in the U.S., but um, who clearly moved into the practice, uh, you know, with their whole heart. And and I do want to say something else about uh, sort of Native spirituality more broadly, and that's that um, without any exception I've ever found, <laughs> uh, Native tribes, you know, there there are over 500 federally recognized tribes in the United States, but of course there are many, many more than that. But um, but almost, to, without any exception, I found all n indigenous people of the United States, because that's my expertise, so I can't speak about the rest of the world, but um, all had an understanding that there was a creator and that that creator was benevolent, that that creator uh, placed us in a particular place, right? So, um, and gave us instructions about how to live in that place. And those instructions typically centered around being good stewards of the land, understanding that we were in relationship with it, that it was not something that we were to dominate, because we would lose balance. So there was never an, 
this desire to, you know, come into a place or live in a place and, you know, start tearing things down mm. and doing things, you know, like mm-hmm. just we were supposed to live, you know, I guess now a very contemporary uh, term would be, right, a very light footprint. Mm. It, 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 it would be, um, it was much more, it was considered better to, uh, to ensure that you did as little to alter where you were as possible because there's whole ecosystems that need to be sustained so that you can live. Okay. So, you know, we hunted, we did all those things. We, uh, you know, it's not, I mean, we had very complicated ways in which we engaged with, with the land, but always I think that was at the center that it was reciprocal, that it was a gift. And mm. so we shouldn't ever take advantage of it. And additionally, all the tribes that I've I've uh, had, you know, the opportunity to to study believed that the the four elements, four directions, four is a big number in Indian country. Um it's balanced, it's um, you know, it represents the the different elements, but also uh you know, different periods of life. I mean, it, everything is very cyclical in Indian yes. country, right? Mm-hmm. And so that cycle is one that uh, we were very attentive to. And um, and so at its best, and this is why I think I ultimately I found my home in orthodoxy, is uh, is that the best of of the of the writing that I've read from Orthodox saints and scholars reflects that idea of balance and that idea of humility and that idea that, um, you know, we should be meditative in our daily lives and we should be thinking about uh, ourselves um, not as, right, not as um, the ultimate authority or the ultimate power mm. <laughs> or uh, and that there doesn't have to be uh, like we don't have to know everything in the Orthodox tradition, mm-hmm. right? That there's a level of mystery about uh, God, about our um, our practice that I still that still resonates deeply with me, and I believe that that's connected. That's what helped me in the connection, right? Because mm-hmm. for Native people. Um, it was difficult to witness the way that Christians behaved when they were saying that it was, you know, they were they were practicing, you know, this teacher that they had told them that they should come and do these cruel things to people in the name of progress, in the name of progress being, you know, we're going to come and just basically destroy the landscape, kill the animals, right? pollute our water. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, those, that's just a reality. And so there was like, what, what, who is this teacher? Who is this person that's telling you that this is a, you know, the way to go enslaving people, all of that. So that conflict of, yeah. um, w- w- is one that I think many, many native people can't reckon with. And sure shouldn't if they don't feel that that they can you know i mean i i i understand that god um is well aware of you know more than any anyone what what happened and so i i think as we um as ortho, as an orthodox christian one thing that i talk about with people when i have the opportunity is that um 
you know, there is a, a peace in Christianity that, um, like there are in many other faith traditions, but for me, I found it in um, the the cycle of the calendar, mm. the um, the way in which we uh, understand that God is a mystery, that um, that we we are uh, a creation that you know should be much more attuned, you know, I- ideally to to um, yeah to who we are in the in our place in the world, and all of the all of the saints that I love mm. and appreciate mm. talked about that. So, um, and, and there are, are saints in the Catholic Church that did the same, mm. um, as well as other, other you know, um, teachers in, in other types of Christianity. But for me, my, my home is in Orthodoxy, and I, and I talk about uh, the fact that it isn't always comfortable because, of course, for someone like myself who... Um, is not affiliated, like doesn't have the cultural connection to most of the churches in the United States. Um, and, you know, I'm not Russian or Greek or Serbian, um, you know, or, uh, or whatever other, you know, um, groups came over and formed mm. these churches. I have found my home there, but it wasn't easy, Peter. Mm. And I think mm. that's what we need to be sensitive to as uh, Orthodox Christians, that when we have the opportunity to welcome and be um, in the company of folks who are not Orthodox and who are not part of those communities, that that we're appreciative of how difficult it can be to walk into an Orthodox church, mm-hmm. see all these icons that, first of all, icons are just strange looking until you get until you learn about them and you understand why they look the way they look, but they are right. They can even, I mean, you know, there were, I've seen a few icons and I'm just being completely honest, you know, where it's like, yikes, what is this? Um, And then, you know, but then uh, as you, as you learn more about what icons are and you practice the faith you begin to appreciate that that's exactly what they're supposed to be. They're not mm. supposed to be. They're mm. supposed to reflect something other than this place <laughs> at this this moment, right? Yeah. And um and so that's that's one thing. One way that I like to talk about the faith is to walk around a church and to explain things to people and to say, I know we don't see ourselves here, do we? <laughs> we don't see um, people who look like us. We don't recognize names. Sometimes, but you know, mm-hmm. uh, we don't like this. Doesn't resonate with us because this is not from. Uh, this is not about a history that we've lived, but uh, there are ways in which those um, those saints' stories are helpful to people who visit, and we can say. You know, this saint or that saint did these things, and um, so it's our home. Even if we don't necessarily understand what's going on right away, yeah. uh, it's here for us. And I, I love to talk about, mm. um, you know, the bodiless powers, and I really like to talk about the icons of angels. That that's a universal. So, uh. <laughs> so that win if you're ever talking to somebody that isn't orthodox Mm. and you're in a church talk about angels you know 
one of the themes I'm hearing in your the story you tell, which is not just your own, uh, is the miracle of of persevering of listening, like mm-hmm. that people who remained or who who became Christian and remained that um, had the humility to 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 listen to the message despite the fact that it was delivered with a bludgeon, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And then even continuing into what you've just been talking about, continuing to want to hear the 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 essential message, even if there's so much that is challenging you aesthetically, and then um, in in the fact that that you're not seeing people who who look like you, there's so much that that isn't uh, of you, and yet you still want to be there it, it, mm-hmm. it, it sounds like it's kind mm-hmm. of miraculous um, it is it, and that's god's grace right <laughs> yeah. that's that's nothing any priest did that's nothing anybody right. uh in my life i mean of course they were welcoming and loving and it was great but but uh to overcome uh, like you're saying the feelings around um, what the past, mm-hmm. and and you know I'm the first to say that um, that just because I practice Christianity doesn't mean that I've forgotten what happened. Mm. <laughs> it's not like I I suddenly you know it's like wow yay right, right. Um, you know yay for the history <laughs> no absolutely not <laughs> but what mm. I also share is that um, if if uh, people today native people today find their home in Christianity. I think that that speaks more about the power of of God as we understand God in the Christian tradition, and about the love that Christ, um, you know, came to share. And that's um, so. It's not about any one thing, other than just God Himself, you know, <laughs> and mm. um, and that's. And that's where I keep coming back. Yeah, I can get frustrated with practices that, you know, I think, oh, you know, um, or I wish that our churches were more ethnically diverse and mm. et cetera. Mm. But I, I also know that there's work to be done, and um, and that work includes me, and mm. you know, and, and and these opportunities that you're giving, like you're giving me today, are a way for us to start talking about how do we ensure that that happens? Mm. How can we get the message to people that really um, want it but don't aren't sure how to find it? And um, and the gift of orthodoxy, I mean, it's just been such a profound. Uh, experience for me, and getting back, I I I, I don't want to before um, our time together is over. I do want to talk about some of the writing that I did about Native Christian art, oh. and um, uh, and how did you know what I was is... going to ask you about next? <laughs> is exactly what I wanted. To... <laughs> That's fascinating. Oh. Please, well, please go ahead. Um... So, so what happened while I was, uh, in, you know, in my um, graduate work is that I was writing about Native art, and um, and I kept thinking about the fact that there were different types of art that just never got discussed. Uh, there's volumes, and when I say volumes, I mean literally, you know, 
10,000 books or more written about American Indian art, right? Gorgeous, everything from beautiful coffee table books to, you know, really dense scholarly work. Um, and, and yet no one ever talked about Native Christian art, which um, I knew existed because I uh, am a Christian and I, I grew up um, going to different types of churches, but I, I grew up Protestant. And, um, and so, you know, all of the spaces that are, they're, they're called American Indian churches, right? All over the country, um, when they're Protestant, and then of course, the Catholic churches, and then the Orthodox. And so for each one of these spaces, uh, the, the believers made gorgeous artwork that you know, represented them in the space. So, for example, um, there are uh, churches in the South, well, what is now Oklahoma, but those those tribes came from the South, right? They were removed to Oklahoma, uh, have these beautiful traditions. And I was thinking about sharing one of those songs with you both today, but... Um, uh, the the Seminole and other tribes that were relocated to Oklahoma have a rich tradition of hymns sung in their own language. And this tradition is sung in the round. So it's this incredible music that um, when I first heard it, I thought, wow, right? <laughs> it's like, you know, looking around like, what what's going on here? Because yeah. I had never heard traditional hymns sung mm-hmm. um in in a native language in my whole life mm. until I was mm. much older. So that's very much in that uh, rhythm of an indigenous song, right? Um, again, everything so much around four, right? So you're going to have that um, rhythm that almost it's it's really an interesting thing but yeah it's such a beautiful like i hear that and i'm just like ah immediately relax it's so beautiful Mm. Mm. and then uh they also made you know they constructed the churches so they uh carved crosses and altar tables with symbols that reflected their own understanding of um the grandeur of you know like the natural world, but also the um, the presence of God, and then in the Catholic churches, there are scholars who are now writing about how um, the missions and other early Catholic churches in what is now the United States uh, that were painted by Indigenous people. There's all these hidden symbols in the in the wall art, the decorative wall art in those spaces. So Native people, um, and then of course in the Orthodox tradition, right, um, vestments uh, that are made by Indigenous people for their clergy. Mm, mm. Um, And um, when I was in Alaska, I had the opportunity to see gorgeous uh, art made, you know, sacred art, I guess, uh, Mm. made by people who, and this is common throughout the Americas, but, um, you know, let's say in the case of Alaska, scrimshaw, which is scraping Mm. onto the surface of bone and Mm. then using natural pigment to color it. So it's a picture. Um, They were making images of Christ and 
Theotokos and um, and and the cross, and they're so lovely. Mm. And I thought, you know, why do we never hear about this artwork? Right, right. And um, mm. and so it's you know, I'm still I'm still thinking about that even now that I'm doing different work, mm. but mm. the importance of. Uh, capturing some of that. And now that I'm doing, especially that I'm doing this community archiving work, it's really come to the forefront of my thinking around, you know, there are, um, there are so many things that we need to document about the, the native relationship to Christianity that I think will help people to appreciate how, um, you know, there, mm, there's a, a kind of, Subtlety is not the word I'm thinking, <laughs> but mm. you know, there's a, there's a, it's a complex thing. And, yes. Yes. Uh, and, and, you know, if, and, and I think for folks that are listening, whose ancestors come from Europe, um, certainly it's a complex story in Europe, right? I mean, people were forced to convert to Christianity yeah. in Europe too, yeah. but we don't yeah. talk about that. Um, very, you know, or people don't even know that. And many, many people in Europe suffered under other European leaders because their land, they were seeking to, to have their land, right? To expand their kingdoms. So, there is some similarity there, but I, I, I only state that because in every circumstance, human beings find a way to continue to express themselves uh, in what I called a native aesthetic, right? That that no matter where they are or what they're doing, and that would be, um, you know, it, it just comes up. It's mm. like somewhere in the space or somewhere mm. in there, even a cross they wore or a cross they gifted mm. or um, a vestment they make for their clergy mm. or the altar tablecloths or um, the iconostas too, right? Um, all of these things are reflective of the fact that we know, uh, I think the joy in some of this, some of these objects I've seen in Indian country comes out of the fact that despite all of that happened and all of the bad that human beings did to one another or, you know, um, there was still a deep mm. love for, for God. And so they wanted to express who they were through what they created for the church. It's tremendous. So, yeah, I, I hear yeah, it's such... really beautiful. Uh, such grace in in what you're talking about. Um, in in we have a few minutes left, and I, I have two questions that might be related to each other. And one of them is just to hear you out a little more on what you just spoke about as what you called a native aesthetic. And mm -hmm. maybe with that, I suppose I have a question. You know. Uh, this podcast is about sacred arts, presuming that there is a secular art as well. Is there much of a sacred secular distinction when it comes to um, especially the, the production of art and craft um, in, in the native world? So those are two kind of biggish questions that, that may be related to each other. I wonder. Mm-hmm. They are. I think it's important to also acknowledge that um, 
that for Native people prior to contact, there was not a a difference between, you know, we didn't have art for art's sake, right? Everything that we created uh, was created with a purpose. And so it was used for everyday life, whether it was a basket or a bowl or clothing or even our architecture, right? Um, things, things were created and used. Um, they, you know, f- sometimes only once, but it was definitely used. So production of, of objects um, now that we're, you know, now that, that things have changed for us, I think they're still deeply rooted because it's difficult to detach from that feeling of, right, like I'm making this object for some, for a reason. And, um, and how am I trying, what am I trying to explain here? So in relationship to Native aesthetic, uh, every tribe, and, and we chatted about this a little bit, right? Every Native person takes great pride in their tribe, okay? And we're all different from one another. So I want to say to the audience, you know, when you meet a Native person, if you really want to, if you really want to do right, ask their tribe, right? Mm. Because we take such such joy <laughs> in sharing that, and um, you know, and and I am I am not only Native, I'm also Mexican American. But when people say to me, "Oh, what tribe are you?" I know immediately that they understand just a little bit more about the Native experience. So all these tribes exist all over the country, and as I studied the art or, you know, the creations of each of these communities, I began to be able to recognize where they came from because there's just a certain way or an aesthetic, right, for okay. each region or each community. So a really good example I could give is Pacific Northwest art, right, which is totem poles. This is mostly what people know. But if you think about it, that highly stylized, very dramatic um approach to expression is very easily recognizable. Like you could be in a gift shop somewhere and look at something and think, oh, that kind of looks like a totem pole, right? Mm, that's, mm. That's, that's Pacific Northwest. But it, it carries into all the other kinds of things that get created, right? And so when a community chooses to make, uh, create, or a, a tribal person or a native person chooses to make something, um, and it, they're deliberately wanting it to reflect their community. They're going to use certain materials, uh, you know, the lines, the um, the way in which they approach the design, the colors they use, the materials they use. They all reflect uh, their community, and that's that's very intentional, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I've seen. Um, in Catholic churches in the Southwest, a lot of times the community will make chalices and things that are used on the altar uh, with in in the tradition of their of their pueblo or of their community, right? Because mm. there's 19 pueblo tribes in that state, and so you go into those churches and you just see them there. You see, you can see physic- physically see their presence because of the designs of of um, mm. what's inside. So uh, 
I don't know if that answers your question exactly, but the production part of it, most definitely we have, right, ways in which um, we can identify each other mm. mm-hmm. through, um, through what we create. And we're very proud of that. You know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. art and identity, it's so, it, they're so interwoven. Um, absolutely. And in Indian country, let me tell you, there's, it's very real. Mm. And, um, you know, and I can look at, at I, I mean, of course, over the course of my uh, adult life, I've made friends with a lot of people from a lot of different tribes, right? And I always enjoy talking to them about things they have and they can tell long stories about an individual item that they have in their home or um, that they have in their church and explain all, you know, what all the symbols represent. And um, sometimes they're animals or water or air or clouds or, you know, um, and, and that's, you know, God's creation is at the center of every native, every native story about who we are, to be on this planet and some of us emerged from the earth and some of us came uh, over the Milky Way. Some of us came over rainbows. Some of us came, um, you know, from an Island. So it's, you know, our stories place us where God wanted us to be and we're meant to care and love for that place. And our art you know, for lack of a better term, because really Native people didn't refer to their work as art, but um, but our art reflects that place in really beautiful ways. And so, um, you know, we always felt where Creator placed us was the most beautiful place. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and that we were so privileged and blessed to be there. And so, just looking at Native art, you can see the love for that place um, in it, without exception. So, I hope, you know, eventually we have more and more Orthodox churches that reflect that aesthetic and, um, and become, you know, a space that Native people immediately recognize. Amen. Amen. Rebecca, I can't thank you enough for this time together. I, it's we my could, pleasure. We could so easily fill another hour, another three hours, another <laughs> week. <laughs> no, seriously, I, we, we, I, I'd love to speak with you again about some of the places that we visited today, thanks to you. Um, so thank you, Rebecca. <laughs> oh, my um, pleasure. Thank you. So in closing, I always say this podcast and the Institute of Sacred Arts at St. Vladimir Seminary is supported in part by the Henry Luce Foundation and by listeners like you. Please drop us a line and consider how you might be able to help us out. Uh, find out more about today's guest, Dr. Rebecca Hernandez, at instituteofsacredarts.com slash luminous. And leave us a comment while you're there. Uh, our Institute of Sacred Arts gathers seminars, panels, uh, we host lectures, and also uh, we offer a Master of Arts in Theology with a concentration in Sacred Arts from St. Vladimir Seminary. 
Luminous was recorded at Surge Audio Online. Thank you, Surge. And I'm Peter Buteneff. Thank you for joining us.